Draymond Green says the Kevin Durant situation was the elephant in the room last season. And we get an in-depth look at Ben Simmons and why he's not shooting. Plus, with the last dance out there chronicling the final year of Michael Jordan in the Bulls, we give you other documentaries we want to see the NBA do. It's the Wednesday edition of Locked on NBA. Let's do this. You are Locked on the NBA, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA, the daily podcast covering everything you want to know about the association. And on Wednesdays, I'm your co-host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, and the host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. And I'm John Corrales, at Reds Army underscore John on Twitter, and I host the Locked On Celtics podcast. Thank you all for tuning in while we're all stuck inside, making us part of your day, even with a different schedule as everyone kind of adjusts to whatever it's like on your day-to-day basis. And certainly we appreciate your support and you listening and making us part of all of that day. So this is going to be a fun day because there's some news here, John, isn't there? Yeah, it's kind of fun. It's almost like a normal day. And it's like, we get to talk about basketball stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, so it's fun. We don't have to drama with the warriors. So like check, that seems like a a Wednesday thing. And then we need to tell Ben Simmons to shoot some threes, like another Wednesday thing. So this really is just like a regular, like, Oh God, this is a middle of the middle of the week NBA type of day. Yeah. except I I like these little touches of normalcy. uh, This is good. And you know, uh, let's take some shots at people because it's kind of fun here. Not shots, (laughs) but like throw a little bit of shade maybe because it would be the playoffs right now we'd probably be talking about how ben simmons needs to shoot more threes if the sixers want to not struggle in the first round and the weird part of this is we probably wouldn't be talking about draymond green and the warriors given their record no that's true that's true they'd they'd be long gone uh (laughs) i don't think they may not be playing again for a long time no matter what i can't imagine as this continues to drag on like I'm starting to think that the Warriors just might be done. The bottom of the NBA might just be done until next season. Plan your vacations. Go someplace where you can isolate yourself in 80-degree weather, private beach, and that's it. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. So so let's dive into that story, the Draymond Green and the Warriors story. And I think as Draymond watched the last dance, it got him thinking about Last season with Kevin Durant, the Warriors, the you know what appears to be the the end of their dynasty, the end of their run, and he basically said that that hit very close to home. And last season, the elephant in the room was Kevin Durant and him not talking to his teammates or not you know making a decision on what he wanted to do, and it kind of I guess almost not derailed their season, but definitely. Uh, kind of hurt it a little bit. What do you think about this? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it did hurt it. And there, I'm sure there were distractions. That That's always going to happen. When somebody's a free agent, there's always some level of distraction. Uh, I saw it with Kyrie Irving in Boston. There, there's something when a high-level player hasn't... And even with Kyrie, I mean, he d- did declare his intention. But even when it's not official, there's always a little bit of, like, anxiety behind that but at the same time i'm so sick of these guys just sniping at one another 
Draymond and KD had that blow up. Yes. And that whole thing, there's just, that's never going to be resolved. It seems because Durant has his own sensitivity. Uh, Draymond has his own sensitivity, their own pride, and they're each going to have their own side and each is going to blame the other for a lot of the problems that, that happened last year for, for Draymond, when it comes to this, like, I get what he's saying. And one of his complaints was, well, I'm the one that had to answer the questions in the media. Like you just put it out there. I'm, I'm on the beat every day. If a player says to me, Hey, look, I'm just, I'm done. I've said what I'm going to say about it. I'm done. We're, we're not talking about this anymore. It kind of dies down. You kind of move on from it. So I, I, I get what Draymond is saying, but I'm also at the same time saying, just give it a rest. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my take on this. It's, it's a little weird. And this feels more like a personal thing with him and Kevin Durant than like an issue maybe for the locker room. And look, I get it. You know, all here's the thing. Like they all get that it's a business and to, to bring it here in new Orleans, you know, Anthony Davis went to his teammates before he requested out last season, uh, you know, kind of similarly before he almost like blew up the Pelican season in a way and told the guys before the start of the year, like, yeah, I'm probably going to request a trade. And they didn't care after he requested a trade. They did not care. And they just went about their business. And that's something that like should derail your season. It should affect your teammates. When you essentially say to them, you guys aren't good enough for me. I want to go to a team that has better versions of you so that I can win more. And they were fine. They still played hard. They didn't let it affect them whatsoever. And they said all the right things. And if you're Draymond Green, you know, maybe you want him to say that to you, but also if he doesn't know, he's not going to say anything. And even if he does like, so what, just be a professional and go and do your job. Right. And then, like you said, tell beat writers, whoever, I'm just not answering that anymore and just stop. Right. I mean, it's, it's not, it really is not on Kevin Durant to announce his intentions to anybody. Um, he he has his own personal reasons for going to the Warriors, and I didn't care that he went to the Warriors. He has his own personal reasons for leaving the Warriors, and I didn't care if he stayed with the Warriors. Um, it's the NBA is just such a unique place because it's not just regular team basketball. It's not the stuff that everyone else knows from playing as a child all the way up to even if you've played in college. It, the NBA just is such a different thing because coaches are coaching for their jobs. Sometimes they make decisions that maybe, you know, Oh, I got to appease this guy so I can keep my job versus I'm going to play this guy because it's the better thing to do. So there are a lot of these things that are going on simultaneously for every team, every time. So at, like you said, there's a level of professionalism where you just say, if he goes, he goes, and if he stays, he stays. We're all in this business together. And we all understand that even Draymond, if he had a value for himself and the Warriors were not willing to pay him, but he wasn't sure what their offer was going to be, then he wouldn't know either. And so he can say, it's my intention to stay. But then he comes off looking like Kyrie Irving, who said it was my intention to stay. And then he changed his mind. So it's... Because of the business aspect, I, I just don't see Kevin Durant owing anybody anything. Even if you say he could have handled it better, he doesn't owe it 
to anybody to handle it any any differently. It's his own personal business. I will say, though, I'm sure the people in OKC are looking at Draymond Green going, yeah, sure, you had a good point. Um, <laughs> I'm sure they're all like really like feeling bad for Draymond Green. Yeah, I'm sure they're all very upset and going to be crying over all of this here. It's just, I don't know, this thing's kind of ridiculous. It comes off a little bit whiny and... Petty? You know, yeah, petty is a good way to put it. You know, any of those words, uh, I, I think, the, are fair with it. The just, NBA is so petty. I mean, yeah, we already we already know that. And, you know, it's one thing for you to just be, you know, it'd be one thing is like he should have stayed. We should have tried to win more titles and ran it back this year, you know, but or whatever. Or, you know, in two years, I guess, since he was going to miss all of this season. And all that. it's not even about that. It's just he feels owed something by Kevin Durant. Other than maybe, you know, some of the other titles that Kevin Durant helped give them while he was there. So it's it's a little weird to kind of like see all of this. And uh, yeah, I just I don't know. I don't like this. And it's just like a weird thing to have come up right now. And it seems like yeah. Draymond just wants to be, you know, top of people's mind or something. Well, I, I think the one thing Draymond should kind of understand and, and people, I think when you're this close to it and have this much pride, you don't see all of it. But uh, I, I think. Draymond's contract, Draymond's deal, his value was, um, I think, magnified by Kevin Durant. And Draymond's ability to do all of the little things that tied all the little stars together over there uh, was heightened by Durant. And I I think that uh, Draymond should understand that and, and he probably doesn't, that his value is tied to the value of the stars. If there are no stars on his team, then he doesn't have the same value because he's not a guy that carries a team. What he is and what he can be a Hall of Famer at is doing all the defensive things, doing all of the dirty work offensively for the other stars that when – KD, when Steph, when Clay are out there on the floor, you need, absolutely need a Draymond Green out there. But that's the only time that he's as valuable as he is. So in a way, Draymond owns, uh, owes a lot of his success, I mean, at least financially, to that that highlight. And and so Durant played a big role in in highlighting what Draymond Green's actual value is. Yeah, no, I fully agree with you on all of that. So this this whole thing is, I don't know, like you said, petty is a good word, which we kind of <laughs> love in the NBA. So like, cool, it's sure. another Wednesday here in the league. So there, there you go. And I think this just kind of adds to it all. But yeah, I, look, I'm a big believer in like people don't really owe others much of anything to begin with. So that's partially why uh, I'm not a huge fan of all of this. So there you go. That's your 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 daily dose of pettiness here in the NBA, which is always a great thing and something we all love here. Coming up, we will be talking about Ben Simmons, his jumper, needing to take more threes, and his process about how he goes about all of this. But before we get to that, don't forget to subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get your podcasts from. Here Monday through Friday for you all, still with everything going on, breaking down all the biggest stories around the association, keeping you up to date on what's going on around the league, and hopefully just making uh, part of your day a little bit better during all of this. So subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get your podcasts from. So over on ESPN, they've got a profile on Ben Simmons, and it's an interesting look 
at how he kind of goes about it, his own process, if you will, which is a phrase <laughs> I hate to use with. I know, you see what I did there? <laughs> um, but it's a, an interesting look on a guy who does get a lot of criticism. And, you know, a lot of it, I think, is rightfully so. Also, some of it's just jokes telling, you know, screaming, shoot a three, you coward, is kind of funny to us. <laughs> like, see, you're laughing. So I definitely. Kind of that get was all born of it. on Celtics Twitter. That was born on Celtics. Was Twitter. it really? They, yes, it was. Celtics Twitter is weird, man. Yes, it is. Weird Celtics Twitter is a real ride. It's it is. Awesome. It is a trip. I can I can definitely say that. <laughs> but yep. so th- this was an interesting look, and you know, it, it kind of gives me a little bit of more respect for Ben Simmons, I think, and kind of how he goes about doing all of this and some of the stories that uh, you know came from all of this. What was your read on this one? Well, I, I get it. I get what you're saying oh, as far as like the respect. My read on this and my read on his shooting, I, I, I came away from this article thinking like he wants to do the things he does well and he doesn't see a need to focus on that thing that he doesn't do well because he is a one of the best defensive players in the NBA because when he can get going downhill, he's impossible to stop getting to the rim. He's one of the best passers in the league. Like all of that stuff is true. But at the same time, I liked the example that they used with Giannis and Tentacumpo with it, it's good that Giannis is expanding his game and trying to shoot the three. I think Giannis is a great comparison because eventually Giannis is going to shoot enough of those threes. You could say, as was stated in the piece, like that's the shot we still want want him to take. But if he starts making those shots, then you you can't help but creep out a little bit. If he hits two or three of those in a row, then it, even though he shoots, maybe he shoots three of ten. But if they come in a bunch, then there's this just tendency on the defense to say, all right, well, I, I gotta, I gotta step out a little closer. I, I can't let him keep hitting those threes. Everybody's so conditioned to defend the three point line. You invariably react to that. And that opens up the game in the half court. And, uh, I just feel like Simmons needs to be okay with failing. My biggest takeaway, maybe if I can sum it up is he seems like he's afraid to fail. Um, and he knows what he's good at, so he's going to do what he's good at. And he just needs to be okay and not afraid to fail because that allows him to push the boundaries of his game. And if something, if he just can't get something to work, then you can throw it away. But you got to try it. And that trial and error is something that can really just expand him into new heights. Like he's an all-star now, but what can he be? And for all of the consternation over whether you know he should shoot or what the the reason why it's even a topic is because philly isn't winning like this at the level that they want to win and we still haven't seen him grow as a player this type of player that he is is the player that he's been and you want to see him grow and blossom so you you nailed, uh, I think, kind of tangentially to what I think my big takeaway from this is, and that it, that is largely about, look, he's very good at what he does. There is no doubting what he's good at. He is very, very good at. But does that make him a complete player? Does that make him a player you can win a title around um, or even as being kind of the second best guy on a team? And Philly struggled this year. I think when we look at their record, they're kind of 
a bit of a disappointment, not a huge one, but a minor disappointment, certainly. And a lot of that has to do with because, well, he hasn't necessarily grown as a player. The range isn't there. It doesn't allow you to beat defenses multiple ways. So while he can want to dominate in the way that he is capable of doing, if it's not going to lead you to a title, what good does that do right now? And I think that's a way of looking at it. And I like what he, what he says in there, and it's also maybe frustrating too, is he says, my weakness is I need to have someone make me accountable. The goal is to be accountable to myself. That's where I think things get a little interesting because if he, who's, who's not holding him accountable for growing his game and who's the coach or the player that's going to go to him or the mentor would have you and be like, you have to do this, man. You need to start doing this and start to improve in these areas so that we can try and win. And is that the accountability that I think he's lacking? And is he ever going to kind of hit that self-realization of this is what I need to do to put all the pieces together for us to you know, significantly improve and win a title? Well, that quote, what that quote tells me is that the, the, the Sixers don't have a number one guy. What they have is a, a couple of guys who are each like number two guys. Joel Embiid is a number two guy because he, as a center, can't dominate end of games. He's not, we saw it last year. We saw it because Jimmy Butler was their closer. We, th that showed that Embiid can't be your number one. He could be a number one, like for most of the game, but when it hits the fan, who's going to have the ball? And it's certainly not going to be Embiid uh, on top of it because he has a tendency to wear down at the end of games. But if Simmons isn't held accountable to himself, then he's not a number one guy either. We just sat here and watched two episodes of The Last Dance, and we watched Michael Jordan, who is the ultimate number one guy. And one of the things that stands out in that, and the guys talked about it yesterday, the ruthlessness of Michael Jordan. He is accountable to himself. He is a guy that goes yep. out there and holds everyone else accountable to him. And, and that's the type of guy that, if Simmons had that mentality, he would relentlessly be improving his game. He wouldn't be sitting there and say, oh, I'm an all-star like this, so I'm good. No, the, you as a number one guy are so driven that you have to improve because in your head, everyone else around you is improving. And if you don't improve, they're going to pass you. And that's the number one problem I have with Ben Simmons is his lack of improvement, his lack of addition to his game. All of this other stuff is elite, but you have to come out and improve things and add to your game and make it better. Do something different. Add a little twist. I, I watched Jason Tatum as an example on the Celtics or just the example of Giannis Antetokounmpo. Guys who are growing. One of my favorite things about Giannis is that I've watched him go and and not only grow like literally grow add <laughs> muscle to his you know he wasn't strong enough so he he relentlessly worked on muscle he adds muscle now he's just this beast of a player i watch him warm up before games if anybody's ever watched Giannis warm up before games he's like going full out full dripping sweat like a huge like the way he he's driven to improve is amazing that's what Simmons needs. That's what this article highlights. No, I think so. Now, it, it also does say that, you know, he, he is working on a lot of this stuff and he's just not ready to, 
you know, debut it maybe is the way to do it. And he's been injured this year too. And, you know, he wasn't healthy the, when the season kind of went on hiatus and, you know, they, in theory, will have him back whenever they return and that he goes through a process that he keeps kind of private. So I don't want to just say that like he's not doing these things, but also sometimes perception is more important than the reality of a situation. And if you're not going to take threes in a game and you're not going to show off some of this stuff, then certainly it's going to lead people to think that you don't do it. And if you don't care, that's fine. But at a certain point, you do have to do it in a game when it matters. Otherwise, it's just kind of talk and saying you're working on it when you're actually not. And the the, the article closes, which is kind of interesting. It says he will not answer to other players or to cranky Sixers fans or his coaches or even his family uh, on this matter. And it's like, you probably should. Right. Like, you probably should. Otherwise, you need to do it because it's not like he's old, but at the same point, like, this isn't going to do you any good when it's 10 years into your career. No. Yeah. Right. Like, it, it, I, I've watched a little bit. I've watched a little bit of Simmons when, when the Celtics were in Philly. I watched a little bit of him um, going through a, a three-point shooting routine. Uh, he, he was shooting a ton of threes, and he had a stretch where he made a bunch, and he had a stretch where he missed a bunch. And that's what happens with a bad shooter: is that you get you got kind of get hot, and you'll you'll hit a bunch in a row, and he'll, you miss a bunch. Um, but that's I'm sure he's shooting them. I'm sure he's practicing them. But I guess the point that I'm going to make is is simply this: you watch Philly, Jake, and you watch all the problems they have. If you just give Simmons the ability to shoot 32% from three, how much of Philly's issues get fixed? That is a very good question, isn't it? <laughs> I think a lot of them do. I think a lot of Philly's questions get, get answered by Simmons hitting just – he says it. I could be a guy that shoots 30% from three. I want to be a guy who shoots 40% from three. But you know what? Philly will take 30% from three right now. They'll take that because you're only a couple of made threes away from league average, and that's good enough. And if you get to 40, great. But if you don't, that's still fine. It's still fine. Yeah, no, I think I, I agree. It's it's And it's interesting. So we'll see. Look, this is he might have a time to kind of show up with all of this and prove kind of all of these haters wrong that he doesn't seem to really care about or listen to anyway. So maybe he's not looking to do that. But, you know, if he comes back and he's healthy for him, when we, if we get an abbreviated playoffs and he starts shooting the three and teams aren't prepared for that either, um, that could open things up for them in whatever form of playoffs we get if we get anything this season. So it'll be interesting. So he has a very good opportunity to shut everybody up, but it doesn't sound like he cares about that sort of thing. <laughs> All right, so enough of Ben Simmons not shooting threes. We will touch on The Last Dance a little bit in the next segment. But more importantly, what other documentaries would be very interesting to see uh, and come out of the NBA? So we'll do that in the next segment here. But again, don't forget, subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get your podcast from. So The Last Dance documentary is kind of the talk of the NBA right now. And rightfully so. The first two episodes are... They're interesting. I wouldn't necessarily call these the most illuminating things. I don't know if I necessarily learned a ton of new stuff from this, but I'm also a pretty diehard basketball guy. And if you're just a casual person, this is probably a different experience for you. 
So I think this gives us the opportunity to take a look, you know, kind of do some deep dives into other aspects of the league. So we don't really need to touch much on the last dance here because there's probably a ton of other really interesting documentaries to make. And John, do you have any ideas that we want to pitch the NBA on? Okay. Well, so if I I was thinking about documentaries that I wish were made, um, if there's something current, um, it would have been fun to have somebody like kind of chronicle Vince Carter's last dance. That would have been really cool. Um, I, my answer of something I wish existed would have been, uh, Bill Russell's last year, uh, as the player coach for the Boston Celtics in 1969, when he was, you know, at the end and, and they had won, it was the last championship of their dynasty. And it was the, the famous story about the balloons in the, in the old forum where the owner, uh, Jack Kent cook had balloons up there. That's that congratulated, congratulated the Lakers on their win. And he came out and looked and, and found out about the balloons and said, those effing balloons are staying up there. And, <laughs> and they won game seven in LA and, and, and uh, Bill retired. I would love to hear the story of that final season. I think that's a good one. A little Homer's pick there, but that's okay. We'll allow it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's a couple, you know, and I'm going to promote something here on the Locked On Podcast Network with it too. So, I'm growing up in LA and that's where I went to high school, you know, and then moved to new Orleans for college at 18 and I've lived here ever since. But you know, that three Pete Lakers title run from 99 to Oh two is like right there in kind of my formative NBA years. And that Oh two playoff series between the Lakers and Kings, I think is gotta be one of the more interesting playoff series we've had in a while, you know, right in the middle of that Shaq and Kobe uh, run with everything, the Kings and the players they had, you know, if Chris Webber wins that series and gets to the NBA finals, you know, is he in the hall of fame now and locked on Kings actually kind of did like an audio documentary on this. So I've been working my way through it and it is absolutely fascinating. And when you look at kind of, you know, some of the NBA fan base right now, that might not be a playoff series they're as familiar with. So seeing one like that with highlights mixed in interviews, I think would be awesome to watch. Yeah, that would be fun. Um, another one that I thought of would be a, uh, something on the, the, the jailblazer Portland teams. Yeah, And they were right in that mix during that time period too. They are like a fascinating group of dudes. <laughs> I mean that, that group was, I mean, that was, uh, Zach Randolph. I think Rashid Wallace was on that team too. Yeah, uh, he was. yeah, that, that team was just talented, but like so bizarre. Um, and it's just so, um, not Portland. Like it was such a, a deviation from where everything you think Portland, Oregon is. So uh, I, I would love to see something on on those teams. I think that's a that's a really fun one. I think. Plus, it's um, Scottie Pippen. Yeah, there you go. It ties into kind of everything right now. Um, that's a great one. So, what about a documentary on the '03 NBA draft? Because I think for oh. a lot of people, maybe kind of like the modern version of the NBA kind of starts there in the draft that had LeBron James. 
uh, Wade, Bosch, Mello, Dark Darko too, who we don't like dra- to talk the Darko about. Darko draft. Like, <laughs> you know, you could think about it. We looking back at that with hindsight, you know, what goes into picking Darko at two over Carmelo Anthony, Chris Bosch, Dwayne Wade, I think is pretty interesting. But when you look at the draft and some of the other names that came out of there, like even some of the guys who never made an all-star team, like Boris Diaw was in that draft. You know, a lot of those guys have had like interesting careers and lasted for a very long time around the league. And obviously the people at the top of the draft, very influential on the makeup of the league right now. Yeah. I mean, Kyle Korver went 51st in that draft. I mean, David West was 18. Like he had a very solid career. (laughs) David West was, he was really good. One of the more underrated guys, really. Uh, The top of that draft is just loaded. It's unbelievable, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, and you just obviously in the redraft, no, Darko doesn't even get drafted. Nope. Um, so that that puts, I don't know what does does Wade end up going to Denver? Does Toronto just still get Bosch anyway? Um, God, Chris Kamen, wow, what a draft! Oh, Mike Sweetney. Look, you can look at some of the names in this, and it's like, oh, I want oh, a documentary okay. on Mike Sweetney. There you go. <laughs> See, there's some like interesting dudes in, in this one that are just, it's like kind of a bizarre draft. Look at some of the guys in there, like Zaza Pachulia is in this. Like yes, think about how yes. he has been influential even over the past six years in the league. Yeah. I mean, they changed the entire, they changed the rule. There's how many fouls have we seen because Zaza yep. injured, like he changed the course of history because he, you know, dirty, I hate Zaza Pachulia, but he, he, put his foot in, in Kawhi Leonard's landing spot. Yep. Like that alone would have changed. Who knows what that would have changed? Maybe the Warriors lose. Luke Maybe Walton so much was in this draft, by the way. Yes. Sorry. He's a yeah, coach. No. Yeah, I know. Right. It's, it's so funny that Luke Walton, Luke Walton is on his third team coaching. Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, he, he's in the same draft as LeBron uh, who's still active in this in this draft? LeBron, Carmelo, um, not many guys. That might be it. No, it's, uh, starting, to, it's starting to kind of dry up a little bit. I you think. know, you're looking like Kendrick Perkins is in this draft. Kendrick Perkins is in this draft. He came out of high school and he's like been in broadcasting for a while. Uh, like you said, Luke Walton. It, that it, it's an interesting story. Like I, I can't imagine how you do a documentary. The, the thing about these documentaries with like the Jordan, so much time, so much effort that you'd have to trail all these guys. I mean, that would be fascinating trailing all these guys leading up to this draft. Yeah. You know, so that's part of it is sometimes you need to kind of like plan years, years, years in advance for this sort of thing. Like they kind of did with, with um, Michael Jordan and getting his permission, kind of like film the last season, not knowing that, you know, what's, what's going to happen with it all. So, we're kind of looking at some of this in, in hindsight, which, yeah. So I guess what our, our, our thing here is if you could have like followed uh, a group around or a team around during time with cameras to get like all of that, like extra footage and stuff. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to kind of know ahead of time. Like, so like with Jordan, you kind of knew like, this could be it. We should, we should just kind of see if we can record all of this for posterity. And like, if, if this is it, this will we'll need to, you know, we need to tell this story. 
So uh, let me ask you this then. If you were to have picked a team from this season before everything went on hiatus that is would have the most – like if you could film them for the whole season, what team do you think would end up having the most interesting documentary made out of them from this year? From this season? Um, there might not really see. be any good ones to be honest. Well, I am, I'm kind of going through. Yeah, I'm like looking at I mean, him to try and think and like well, see. Okay, well, I'll tell you, the the Lakers are probably going to be the answer. Yeah. Uh, the candidates are the Lakers, I think the Clippers with their pursuit of Kawhi, but not even, that's kind of eh. Um, the Rockets, I think, would be a really interesting that's one. That's a good one. That's you a know, good one. Yeah, with the small know, ball. Um, yep. The small ball, that decision to be in a room where they're making this decision, like you know what, we got to move Clint Capella, and and to hear how that all happened, um, that would be that would be interesting to me. I think I think Houston and the Lakers, the Lakers especially because uh, you've got healthy LeBron, you get Anthony Davis, the Kobe thing happens in the middle of it. Um, it, it would be obviously interesting to see the true impact because obviously Kobe meant everything to the Lakers and you, you, you get a sense of like the tragedy, but to be behind the scenes, if possible to kind of get the full impact from within that organization of what he meant that would really, um, and not that I'm looking to make things sad, but like, no, I, I get what you mean, though. You know, it just you you really want, I, I'm I'm really curious because we we all know we've seen the the tributes and 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 all of that, but the full impact that you, behind the scenes would just be, I think, fascinating. Um, the only other candidate I think might be your Pelicans and the the the. Zion kind of coming back from the injury and, and everything that they did with him. No, I, so I think that would definitely be interesting and all the hype around it. And, you know, it, I think if they make the playoffs or somehow get in or do any sort of damage in there, I think it kind of puts that like piece on top of it. You've got like the climax in the end that like ends on a high note. And I think that could certainly give it kind of that like hero aspect of things, which would definitely be interesting. But just seeing this dude kind of adjust to the NBA could be very interesting because they keep a security guard around him at all times. Um, <laughs> and I've heard a few stories about like how he ended up living where he lives now and why it's not somewhere else. And like the hype around him is like absolutely out of control um, and kind of seeing it that, you know, a hype we've probably never seen since LeBron came into the league. So could be interesting to kind of look at it from that angle. So there you go. There's, do you have any more documentaries I should ask? No, no, that's it. I think it. those are good. I think those are good. And, and you know, you can anticipate, like, I wouldn't be surprised if something actually did happen with Zion because you knew that he yeah. was going to be as hyped as he was. Got the earthquake at summer league and everything too. And the debut and like all of that, which also feels like 9 million can, years ago. Can we just start with that? Like there was an earthquake at summer league and we're, <laughs> we now not even like, it's all still part of like, this were you there for that? I was in the building. I was going to say you were there, right? I was there. I was there for the Zion debut. I was writing. I was supposed to write a sidebar piece on the atmosphere for Zion's debut. And I ended up writing an earthquake piece 
uh, for Zion's debut. It was it was a little nuts, and it was not that big of an earthquake, but uh, that that sucked. And, yeah, and, that and was... we're like. Oh, by the way, remember there was an earthquake. That's how crazy things have been. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how things have gone when like that's kind of like a like a footnote in all of this. So there you go. Season started with yeah. an earthquake. Zion could definitely, you know, be an interesting one given that that's part of all of that. So I think it is absolutely awesome. And also we've had some good kind of audio documentaries here on the Locked On Podcast Network recently. We mentioned the Kings. Uh, David Locke and the Jazz have really done it too. Locked On Mavs is kind of doing a bit of a documentary and breakdown on the Mavs NBA Finals win in 2011. So all of this has been really good. And if you're all looking for more behind-the-scenes stuff, which is kind of what you're looking for in a documentary, it gets no better than the Rejecting the Screen podcast with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko. And they've got interviews from former players, coaches, Guys who played with Michael Jordan, guys who played against Michael Jordan, same for MJ, all of that. So they are great to listen to if you want to hear these never-told, untold stories around the NBA. Uh, And you can subscribe to uh, Rejecting the Screen on iTunes or follow on Spotify as well. Uh, So that's going to do it for the Wednesday edition of Locked on NBA. Thank you all for listening. As always on Wednesdays, I'm your co-host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter and the host of the Locked on Pelicans podcast. And I'm John Corrales at Reds Army underscore John on Twitter, and I host the Lockdown Celtics podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back with you all next week.